Okay, so for this reason, the way that it is written in the Greek, uh, for this reason, could be going backwards or forwards, right? And so we're not sure. You could debate it all day if for this reason is because of everything we talked about last week, because of the gospel, because of the selecting of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son, and the seal of the Holy Spirit, uh, because God loves you, and he redeemed you, and he chose you, and he bled for you, and he lavished his love, and he sealed you, and he, he made you his for this reason, or it could be for this reason, because I have heard of your faith and love, right? And so we're not sure if Paul is praying because of the gospel, or if he's praying in excitement because of their love and faith to one another. Here's what I'll say. I'd say both are good things worth praising God for, <laughs> right? I would say both are things that we should take pause and take note of. Um, and so before we go into today, I just, for a moment, I uh, want to talk a little bit about last week and just to remind you of what we talked about because it's so important. If you remember, anyone remember what the main point of this book is? One word? What's the word? Identity. Yeah. Uh, this book has a lot to do with identity. Paul is identifying God. He's identifying himself. He's identifying the saints. He's identifying the church and how it functions. Uh, this book, uh, many scholars have called it the great book of identity, right? And like we talked about before, there's also the, the wealth, walk, and warfare of the believer. And funny enough, we're still in that wealth section. We're still in that all of the great things God has for us section. Because here's the thing. When we get to walk, when we start to get later into this book, Paul starts calling people out, right? And so remember these fluffy messages. Remember that Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Because eventually Paul starts to sharpen the blade a little bit on the church. Uh, but we're still in this section of God just gushing on the church of Paul just explaining how excited he is about the church how much God loves and cares for the church because here's the thing um correction growth challenge is painful if your foundation isn't healthy right, right? but if we can keep our perspectives positive when God begins to stretch us and grow us it doesn't feel like the end of the world it feels like an exciting new chapter in our lives Right. And, and I, you know, when the Bible says to renew your mind every day, I think there's a principle kind of just buried in there that what's so important with us as believers is really our mindsets will dictate so much of our lives. Yeah. Your words and actions will, too, but really your words and actions are reflections of your mindset or from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right. The word we have for mind and heart, it's all the same thing, the inner person, right, from the abundance of your disposition, how you view things, how you look to things. Your mouth is going to speak. And Paul actually begins to reference that stuff later. He talks about their spirit. And he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the inner them, right? And this is coming. And the point that Paul is trying to make is he's telling us that if we can stay knowledgeable, wise, aware of God's goodness, aware of how much he loves us, the challenging times aren't that challenging. Yeah. If you go to the book of Acts, there is a statement in that book that is just weird, right? We've talked about it a thousand times in this church, but I want to talk about it again. The apostles are preaching the gospel. Right? People are finding Jesus. People, the Jewish people, they don't like that people are accepting Jesus. So they drag the apostles into their court. Right? They try to tell them, stop preaching the name of Jesus. To which Peter says, no. Right? You got to love Peter. You got to love the fact that Peter never really stopped being himself. You look in the Gospels, he's hard-headed. And he's obnoxious. 
and he's always talking and putting his foot in his mouth. And then you go into the, the you go you go past the gospels into the book of Acts, and he's glorified and he's sanctified, and he's the apostle who's leading the apostles, and he still is just hard headed. And so the Sanhedrin comes before Peter, and they no, he comes before the Sanhedrin. Let's face it, and they say, "Stop preaching the gospel." And hard headed Peter, who has remained hard headed, says, "Kick rocks. You gotta love it." You know what I'm saying? I am convinced that God doesn't really change us. He just redirects us. You are who you are, but there's like a holier version of us. But it's like, you don't got to stop being the funny person. You don't got to stop being the chill person. Like, you don't have to fundamentally change your personality to come to Jesus. You just have to change the direction and path that you're walking. But you're you, and God actually wants to use you. Grumpy old you. Stoic old you. Can't take nothing serious old you. God will use it all. Some of y'all are too hard-headed to compromise, and so God's going to put you in situations where it's like, don't compromise, preach the gospel. <laughs> anyway, but once that happens, um, they decide, well, we're going to tell them, don't say the name of Jesus, don't do it, and they flog them and whip them. And that sounds terrible. Uh, I, I, I barely know what flogging is, like barely. And the only reason why I know what it is is because when I was younger, I watched the movie The Road to El Dorado. And they talk about it. The line is, you'll be flogged and flogged again. And by God, you'll be flogged again. And it's just like a crazy line. I didn't get what it meant, but I just knew I was supposed to be scared uh, as a child. And uh, so they, they get beat and they leave. They leave from this moment of, of flogging. And the Bible says that they rejoice for the opportunity to be dishonored for his name. What kind of twisted people... You know what I'm saying? Like, how messed up you got to be to be excited that you got beat? Some of y'all, no, never mind. Uh, <laughs> okay, but what, how messed up you got to be for that, right? And it's like, but, but with Jesus, you get into this place where your mindset, you're so enwrapped in good things that when this world tries to bring you down, even in the midst of pain, there's still joy. And that, by the way, is the definition of peace. Peace is your ability to remain calm and, dare I say, happy. Or at least joyful in the face of challenge and adversity. And I think, again, Paul is setting the groundwork for what brings true peace and true joy. Jesus loves you. That's the groundwork. And how often we lose sight of that. How often we wonder if is God going to show up for me? It's like, of course he's going to show up for you. He's God. He's, he, he always has shown up for you. Maybe not in ways that you've wanted, but he's always been present for you. We embrace things, we embrace untrue facts about God because of our personal experience. Right? And I think the enemy likes to twist our personal experiences to convince us that we're alone. Right? You know, like, I, when I was growing up in church, I would often hear things like, oh, sometimes God is distant to test us. And it's like, and then you embrace that kind of whack theology. <laughs> and then you go through seasons where you feel like God is distant, and you feel like, well, this is supposed to be. It's like you wouldn't read the Bible and come to the conclusion that God's ever distant from you. Yeah. Like, they would say phrases like, oh, the teacher's always silent during the test. It's like, yeah, but, but dad isn't, right? 
And I think we embrace these things that actually make our situations make sense, right? Instead of taking our situations to God. We assume we deserve the situations that we're in. And, you know, you might. In the physical, and had Jesus not died for you, you might actually deserve those bad things that you, you think you deserve. But because of his blood and the fact that you're his child, you don't. And again, Paul is going to build into these challenges to the church. But before he does that, he's just laying groundwork. He's just telling them, God, the Father chose you. He adopted you. No one's knocked on your door, maybe some of you, but this isn't how it typically works. You don't get a knock on the door, you open the door, and then someone just hands you a baby. It's like, congratulations, you just adopted that. Paperwork signed, peace, and they walk out the door. No, the parent has to go get the child, right? And it's like when God comes and he adopts you, he chose you, he wants you. That is what agape means. Right, that love, that God love. And again, um, we call it God love in the church because definitionally they would say that truly only God can love like that. I disagree, but I do agree with the concept that agape is the sentimental type of love. As in something is valuable because of who loves it, not because of its inherent value. Right, and so when the Bible is saying that God agapes you, it's saying his love makes you valuable, right? And the Bible also says that he loved you from the foundations of the earth. Meaning before you were even born, you were valuable. Because God loved you. And these sermons and these lessons that I'm teaching right now, they're all from Ephesians. <laughs> right? We haven't actually really left Ephesians. Because Paul is so wanting the church done, because he's going to bring the gavel down. He's going to talk to them about living the life worthy of their calling. He's going to tell them to watch their mouths. He's going to warn them that there are false teachers in their midst. All of this stuff is coming. But even to the person not living a life worthy of their calling, even to the person whose mouth is full of just saying death to people and gossip and slander, even to this wolf that is preaching false gospel, the false gospel in the church, God loves that person. And his, and his desire for them is repentance. And I think it's a hard path to walk. And I think it's a path you'll see a lot in the book of Ephesians. What I could be and what I am. Where I should be and where I'm at. What I think about me and what God thinks about me. And I've quoted this a thousand times, but there's a song by Alec Baldwin. Is it Baldwin? I was, I was confused his name. Josh Baldwin. I don't even know who Alec Baldwin is. That's an actor, right? I, I swear, every time I try to talk about this guy's song, I, we always just end up talking about this, this actor. I can't help myself. But it's such a good line where he says, there is a mountain in between what you have said and what I see. And I love that line because it's so true. There is some, like, we look at our own experiences and it's like, God, like, you say I'm beautiful, but I'm not. You call me sinless, but what did I just do? You call me peaceful, but why am I so torn? And I think that's just the human condition. But that is truly what God is saving us from. And I think as we kind of go forward, you'll, you'll actually see a little bit of it. That it's like, I think we hold a lot of things in our hand that we just don't want to put on yet. Because, again, the Bible says you lack nothing. You have every spiritual blessing. 
But I just think sometimes we don't walk in what we already have. Um, Calvary Chapel, um, I was reading um, kind of the notes of one of the pastors on this section of scripture. Um, and he, he wrote about a story, and I don't know if you guys have heard it, you probably have, but it's still a really cool story. I forget the guy's name, but it's this famous art critic, right? Uh, I think the story is kind of big and Christian dumb, but I'm, I'm going to tell it anyway. It's this art critic, right? And what this, this guy is, a jillionaire probably, because that's, art is, is interesting. Like, you know, like my wife will sell a painting for 30 bucks, and I'll see a painting way worse than her painting, so for like two million, I'm like, what is happening here? Like... <laughs> raise the price tag let's see what happens uh <laughs> you just gotta sell one you know you just gotta get one um one sucker just gotta buy that and that's it game over right and so but th- th- this guy hears about this painting they look it up they blow it up right and this kind of thing is like the guy hires his usual headhunters and he says go find this painting for me i want it i'm gonna sell it for more right this concept of value and so this headhunter or Art hunter, hopefully not really a head hunter. I don't know. The art world, millions of dollars. They probably get uh, sketchy or shady. I've seen Sherlock Holmes. Someone died over art. Um, yeah, and that's always true. And and, and they they're looking for this art and. the art hunter or whatever the heck this guy is comes back and he goes, "I found it. You own it." Right, And this dude that was looking for this priceless painting, he literally already owned the painting. He didn't realize it. Right? It was in one of his warehouses that he owned. And like, how funny that would be. It's like the thing you're looking for is in your house. Right? And it's like Paul literally teaches us this throughout scripture. You already have the blessing. It's already in your house. You're looking for peace. It's actually already in your house. The problem is you think peace is a disposition when actually peace is a person. Right? And so we're seeking this inner feeling when if we seek Jesus, he hands us that inner healing. And it's not something we fight for and we earn and we kick and scream for. The Bible doesn't show us the 12-step program to inner peace. It just says go lay with Jesus. And I think the reason why we build those 12 steps is because we don't really want to lay with Jesus. And so some people who are wiser than us go, okay, step one, step two, and then like step 11 to 12 is like, now go lay with Jesus, you know? And they like slowly coax us along because we're not going to go lay on our own. But then these people who are much wiser than myself, how often I've been tricked into a place of peace. Uh, right? And it's true, but really there is no step-by-step program. Like, God is with you. And it's like, the answer is to pray when you're struggling. Maybe to put on some worship music and just get on your knees. It's probably to wake up an hour sooner and read your Bible. It's probably to study a little bit more. It's probably to remove a few people from your life that are causing grief and stress. It's probably to finally pick up those things that God has called you to do and you know it and you're actually already gifted for it and you already have the talent for it and you already have the business idea, whatever it is, but we're not, we don't walk in the things that God calls us to walk in and we wonder why we're torn. And I think it's because the path that he's led us on, I don't think he called us to set up camp. I think he called us to keep walking. And, and, and again, again, back to that weird balance, right, where it's like, this path is freely given because of the death of the son, but it's narrow. And not everyone's going to walk it. Everyone's invited to it, but most won't set foot on it. Uh, but for, for this reason, 
Hey, you can actually just leave that verse up probably the whole time because I, I knew it. I'm not going to get past it. We'll, we'll talk about the prayer next week. Um, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Um, Paul wrote another letter to the Colossian church, the church of Colossae, Colossians. And if we go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 4, in our handy-dandy notebook, uh, since we have heard of your faith in Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints. It's literally the same words. And then, you know, Paul wrote another letter to the church of Thessalonica. And so if we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and your love of every one of you or and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And so once again, we see when Paul is looking at the church, he has a checklist of two things he wants to see. Are they faith-filled towards God? And are they in love with one another? At this church, we talk about the three pillars. Pillar one, your relationship with God. Pillar two, your relationship your church and pillar three your relationship with the lost and broken out in the world and what i've said from this stage many many times is if you really seek to love god if you really seek to be a healthy member of the community and you really seek to preach the gospel to the lost and broken you will always you will 99 times out of 100 accidentally trip into just being in everything god has called you to be right you'll find yourself walking on paths that you didn't intend for yourself because you're just faithful in these areas you know, and it's like, take out this, the, the evangelism part, and those first two pillars are just right here, three times over in three different letters, that when Paul is actually encouraging churches, right, because you're not going to see this sentence in the letters where Paul's like, all right, y'all suck, <laughs> right? <laughs> you're going to see him say, why aren't you being faithful? Why aren't you being loving? But when churches are out here killing it, He's, uh, he's like, y'all are great. I see you're faithful towards God and that you love one another. That's what Paul seems to care about. And to Paul, it seems like the definition of a healthy church is a faithful church and a church that loves one another. Yeah. And that maybe if we sought to be faithful to God and to truly sacrifice for one another, that maybe that's all really God is asking of us. And that maybe we overcomplicate the gospel. And I know that since those terms are so vague, there's some baggage that comes with them. And I know that um, there's the steps aren't quite as simple as just be faithful. Because how, how are you faithful to God, right? You got to read his word. Um, but what I love is this word for faith in Back, we can go back to Ephesians 1.15. This word for faith uh, is, I just now looked at how to pronounce that. It's pistis. Don't blame me. That's the Bible. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got to have the pistis. Um, <laughs> um, it is conviction of truth. So that word for faith isn't just, I believe. It is, I am convicted of the validity of this. 
Here's what that implies. It implies that faith isn't something mental. It's actually a reality or a lifestyle. Or, as one wise philosopher once said, faith without works is dead. Right? But what are these, what is this, what are these works unto? Unto God. That when Paul was looking at the church, he was asking, are they faithful to the things God has asked them to be? Are they, are they faithful? Are they convicted of this gospel? And that's where the secret evangelism is hidden in there, right? Because these churches were out preaching the gospel. You can actually, we're talking about the book of Ephesians. You can actually read Acts and see the church of Ephesians being planted. And you can see they were out preaching the gospel in the streets. See, here's the thing about Christianity. It is first and foremost our relationship with God, but it doesn't actually just end in your relationship with God. There are things we do in response to love. But actually, the thing that I like the most about this is if we go to love, this love for one another. Anyone want to guess what that word love is in the Greek? It's agape. You know that love that only God can have? Well, Paul said to this entire church, you guys love like God loves each other. Uh-oh. When we make God something so far away that is unattainable, we start to build up theologies like this, where it's God loves like that, but you can't expect me to love like that. Yeah. But if what happens is we shift and what we start to embrace is, well, the Bible says to actually, I should have a mind like Christ. I should have the mind of God. The Bible says to love like Christ loved you. That means my love should be like God's love. And suddenly, and, and, and honestly, in a strong sense, terrifyingly, Christianity becomes much more hands-on. Christians don't sit in a chair, check a box, walk out, and leave. Christians engage with one another. They love one another. We pray for one another. And when someone's in need, we sacrifice for one another. And again, I think we overcomplicate these simple truths. If someone can't afford groceries, buy them groceries. That's actually the gospel. Well, I don't think it's wise to buy them groceries because ABC, where is that in the Bible? And do you think you're so perfect that people should bend over for you when you won't bend over for others? And again, the Bible says that we love one another like Christ loves us. Again, undeserving, broken. That's who we were before Jesus. So if you look at someone and say they're undeserving and broken for me to bless them, good. That is that you get to be Jesus in this equation. And again, Paul is laying this out. And he's, he's not even laying it out in the sense of like you need to be this. He's thanking them because they already are. And that is why, fundamentally, I find this letter, because this is one of the most encouraging letters Paul wrote, right? Because this church really was killing it. And fundamentally, this is why I find this letter to be one of the most depressing letters in all of Scripture. Because when Jesus Christ, through John, wrote, your love has gone cold, in the book of Revelation, he wrote to the Ephesus church. This church... 
that agape loved one another. Paul looks at, or sorry, John the Revelator watches as Jesus sends messengers that says, I have this one thing against you. You forgot your first love. This church. Which means it's possible to start well and end bad. But then if you look at the Corinthian church, you see it's also possible to start bad but end well. And I think there's an inherent warning. And again, I was supposed to do eight of the verses today. It's hard to read over things in the 21st century because Paul says things like you understand them. <laughs> but then for us, there's such like deep theological wells because we've, we've honestly drifted a little bit from Scripture as far as our normal language and dialogue. So we'll think things mean things, but in Scripture they don't really mean things. And we'll start to embrace certain doctrines that really aren't biblically accurate. And it's just because we don't speak the same language anymore. And so we have to pause in moments like this. The hardest sections of scripture to read through are the ones where Paul or Jesus or Peter or James, they just assume you know what they're talking about. <laughs> and this is one of those sections. Because you hear faith, and what do you think? For most people, they don't think convicted of truth. And when you hear love, what do you think? Most people don't think agape. Actually, from most churches I've been into, most people would actually tell you that no one can agape but God. Which is unique and weird because the Bible so often uses the word agape in relation to two humans. So very often. But here's the thing I want to close on this. Our love doesn't have to run cold. We don't have to cease caring for one another just because we've gotten used to each other. We as a community don't ever have to become like the old married couple that don't talk anymore. They just cohabitate because they don't know how to not be with each other anymore. If I can be honest, I do think there are people in this room who are here because you're afraid of what happens if you leave. And that's an unhealthy reason to be a part of a community. Be here because you're loved and you love each other. Right? Don't feel threatened to be a part of it. Like, God won't bless me if I, God is with you and he loves you. I believe he loved you so much he led you here. Right? But here's the thing. If agape is fundamentally sentimental value, when the Bible says to love one another agape, it means, listen, anyone in this room, if you don't feel valuable, you have value because you are loved. That's fundamentally what agape means. Again, we think of the word sentimental. When, I, when I'm reading that word, I always think back to, you remember those green city blankets? I don't know if you, like, there's like a green fuzzy little blanket and they have like the whole city on it. I drive my cars on it. I call it my city blanket. I, I had one. I lost it. So frustrating. I, this is a real story. Real story of my life. Someone offered me $200 for my city blanket when I was 15. $200 when I was 15. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's like a jillion dollars. And I said no because of the blanket's worth to me. Right? Sentimental has no monetary value. You can't compare something to sentimentality. The world might look at it and see it as a broken, beat up mess. But to you, it's your childhood. 
To you, it's a reminder of someone you care about. To you, it's whatever it is. You, it's a keepsake. It's your last memory of someone you care about. And that is the same mentality that Jesus wants us to apply to one another. And what's interesting is Jesus would teach us, if you go back into the gospel, that by loving one another, we are being faithful to him. And it's almost like this is an interesting cycle. Because like, in order to be faithful to God, you have to actually be sacrificially involved in some kind of community. Listen to me. I'm going to say, and I know we, the church is universal. We are united. All the churches in this city that really preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, we really are one with. People will use that as an excuse to not sacrifice for a community. And you will never be known if your life is a life of hopping from churches. You can't ever be truly known. And you can't ever be truly loved. Not like you deserve. And you can't love people like they deserve to be loved. And so you'll notice when you read the Bible, these letters were written to individual churches. And then were spread around. Right? And so there is an element where you are called to an individual church to be a part of it and to love it. And again, it's, it's easy for a pastor to say, because of course I want to see your bright, smiling, wonderful faces every weekend. Or, you know, most of you smile. Some of y'all never smile. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but again, I'm sorry. Because I, I had like a whole sermon planned, and I just got stuck on this verse. And I have been stuck on this verse. Uh, just because there's just so much power there. And so when God looks at this church, does he see a church of faithful people who really love one another? And if you look at the requirement of a pastor, I look at Pastor Thomas, I look at Pastor Eric, I look at Pastor Wesley. I'm just kidding. I look at Pastor John. I look at the pastors and I, and I see that it's sections like this that remind us what God is telling us to build as leaders. But here's what's so important. This letter wasn't written to leaders. It was written to a church. And if the leaders are faithful to one another and love one another, it does not mean the church is healthy. It requires everyone, Right? That, that actually means that Bobby needs to love Ernest. Finally bury the hatch. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, they're good friends. I promise. <laughs> it's like making a part of the sermon. Be terrible. But no, but that, that's what that actually means. So let me ask you, do you agape every person in this room? Let me answer it for you. No, you don't. <laughs> right? Like, I don't. Sorry. I just, I don't. Like, uh, I'm human. I'm human. I like some people more than others. I enjoy some people's company more than others. I favor, like, I like my son more than anyone here. More than any of you guys. Like, like if someone was like, hey, I'm going to pick a random person, Eric Willis, because he'll be at least offended by the joke. So someone had a gun to my son and Eric Willis and said, pick which one is going to live and which one's going to die. I would look Pastor Eric Willis in the eye and I'd quote the Bible to him. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You're welcome. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I wouldn't, but I, but I wouldn't even blink. <laughs> like I, I'd be like, sorry. Like it, it would instant. Who? T Titus. Hands down. Who? Titus. Absolutely. 
Easy. Right? Because we have favorites. And it's easy when it's my son, right? Or my wife. But we, we have those kind of people in our lives. But God, I, here's sincerely, work on it. Love one another. Sacrifice one another. When you give your word to one another, actually follow through. I don't do that well. I'm a chronic over planner. Like three times a month, and that used to be way worse. Three times a month, I got to call someone and be like, okay, look, we got to reschedule. <laughs> My bad, right? But like, that's not loving. And I have to repent and own it. And if we're being crazy, it's not being faithful to God. If you want sincere peace in your life, if you really want to live a life that you can look back on fondly, if you really want to build something bigger than yourself, it will require a conviction and devotion to Christ. And it will require you to love people more than yourself. Because again, I, I, I'm going to close with this one sentence, and I've said it before. Um, often we'll, we'll say, what is the greatest commandments? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the person gets up and they preach a sermon, and they'll say, you can't love other people unless you love yourself. And that, that's good Jewish law, but that is not Christian doctrine. Because after Jesus preaches that, he's with his disciples on the last night of his life. And he looks to them and he says, a new commandment I give you. Love each other as I have loved you. He took me out of the equation. And the law was no longer that I have to love John like I love me. Suddenly Jesus said, no, I don't care how you love you. Love John like I love John. He does care how much you love you, for the record, but not in relation to love. Because, again, people who are faithful to God, you'll find that God gives you peace in your life. And suddenly the things you hated about yourself begin to melt away. And not that the things go away, but you just learn to be at peace with who you are. You learn to be at peace with the Father who left you. It's Father's Day. Because you finally get to live in a true relationship with a Father who never will. And I don't want to be misheard or misunderstood. Sometimes there really are people that you have to build a wall and protect your heart from. Right? I'm not saying that you don't have to do that at some point or another. Right? But I'm actually talking in relation to, honestly, this church. You do need to love one another. We got stuff to do. We got a school we're trying to preach the gospel to and we need you to show up. We need to keep the lights on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We need you to show up. There's not enough pastors in this room to love everyone the level they need to be loved. You need to love one another. Because we're just, we're just a body, and we all have parts to play. And sometimes you need Sadiqa to show up with Wedge. And sometimes she needs you to pay for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all got a role to play. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, I just pray for every person in this room. Uh, God, I, I pray some of these seemingly small sentences in Scripture would suddenly begin to take new life to us. God, teach us, truly teach us to be faithful. A faithfulness that is always first built on your kindness and your goodness. So help us to see your goodness, God. 
I pray hearts would be softened. Uh, minds that have been so used to thinking negatively, God. Now that your spirit would come in and truly begin to soften that. Teach us your ways as David cried out. We cried as well. And I pray we love one another. Truly love. Truly see the value and worth in each other. A value and worth that you gave them, God. Thank you for Boulevard Church. Thank you for the people you called to worship together in this building. Thank you for the calls in their lives. And God, I pray that you would give them wisdom and how to walk in those calls to greater degrees and greater levels. That something here would be built that would last longer than ourselves. Something that could actually alter some of the events happening in Vegas and Nevada, the United States. God, we ask boldly to be people who really love and really speak the truth. And let from this building there be true examples of what it means to walk in the truth and love. In the name of Jesus, I say, amen.